0: love anything that's pink.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Welcome to How They Get You, the podcast where we talk about how that brand made you buy that thing you really didn't need. I'm Laura, and I'm here with my pal Faye.
0: Hi, I'm Faye Crookshank, and I have worked in branding and marketing for a number
1: of years. I didn't know we are doing last names, I'm Laura Gilbert and I watched both the Little and the LD Christmas advert last year. So uh, I think we all, we all bring some things to the table in terms of marketing expertise, right Faye?
0: Absolutely.
1: Um, before we get started with uh, today's theme, I wanted to ask you, what have you been tricked into buying this week?
0: Okay it was a special week in Ireland this week because it was Paddy's Day so we got a random bank holiday on a Wednesday which was novel Blush. so as you can imagine which is probably something we'll talk about a lot today the shops were full of St Patrick's Day themed shit so I didn't buy anything kind of there was I saw some pictures of like green sausages and stuff which is a bit of a step too far
1: but wait, I, wait, wait. green sausages green sausages that- Doesn't inspire confidence.
0: No, I didn't look too closely at why they were green. (laughs) Unrelated. Your guess is as good as mine. But what I did buy, so here's something I didn't know. Mm -hmm. Graham Norton has his own range of wines. So I bought some Graham Norton Prosecco to celebrate St. Patrick himself. Is is
1: the vineyard in Ireland? I hope so.
0: I (laughs) presume so, but Ireland's climbs probably aren't that great for wine, right? I kind of want
1: to try it now.
0: I it was very passable. There you go. <laughs> so that's my review, everyone. <laughs> that meets the crap. Did, tr- did the trick after my like third bottle in the park. Uh, and tell me, Laura, what have you been conned into buying this week?
1: Um, I've recently discovered the joy of receiving post and deliveries of items. I'm, hmm. I'm becoming slightly more consumerist, I suppose. That's my 2021 resolution. And... <laughs> I okay. got excited because there was this like little bakery nearby that was quite hyped up with their bakery deliveries. Like they'll only do it on a Wednesday and a Saturday and they have their menu and it sells out really quickly. So I saw Ooh. that they had some stuff going and I was like, okay, which of these particular items should I buy? And uh, Neil, uh, who I live with for those listening, he, I don't think was paying particularly good attention. So when I was like, should I get everything? He said, yes. So we just got like this, um, this like sack of baked goods on Wednesday morning, which I kind of forgot I ordered. And it was like like a cheesy Danish, yeah, and, like a what? blueberry Danish, like ready made
0: baked goods, just like
1: not from not, a bakery. Ugh. But we also had like most of a Guinness cake left over because, um, you know, in honor of St. Patrick's Day. So we just had like a lot of stodge, high fat foods. It felt very oily. Mm-hmm. It was good.
0: A good oily, not a, a bad oily. Uh, yeah,
1: I think I just panic bought it because I was like, "Well, what if the thing I don't buy is the thing that will change my life?" And
0: how um, did you hear about it? You said it was very hyped. Is this like a local
1: thing? I think it must have been on like London on the inside, whose mm-hmm. Instagram is just stories are just constantly telling me to buy food because there was another one I ordered called hash blondies, but they're not oh, hash blondies they're not in hash... the sense. No, so they're not like. They have no drugs in them. They're just like blondies and brownies. The guy who makes them is called Hash. I think he knows what he's doing, though. I don't. You you don't say. (laughs) (laughs) I think he purposely was choosing a slightly cheekier name. So Um, well,
0: so you know, you've been partaking in some of these direct delivery companies recently. You know who probably wouldn't wouldn't be a fan of you doing that? It's a supermarket. supermarket. It is the supermarkets. What a coincidence, because today, listener, we're going to be talking all about supermarkets. Uh, Laura, tell us a bit more about this week's theme.
1: I think you kind got of summarised it. It's supermarkets and how they get you. Um, I'm going to be asking a lot of questions because I'm a curious individual on a voyage of discovery and Faye's going to be providing a lot of answers because she is a wise woman at the end of her <laughs> voyage of discovery
0: probably the first first time i've ever been called that but yes supermarket so we've both been in a supermarket
1: um, multiple times
0: what is your favorite supermarket
1: oh i don't know i think i think it's Waitrose. i know that sounds really bougie oh. but i'm gonna stand by it um
0: it's just a lovely experience isn't it's it? a
1: lovely experience there used to be one near where my mum worked so if I was, like, a kid and I was in the area or whatever, get, I went there with my mum, mm. so it's for that kind of vibe. Nostalgia.
0: I was going to ask if you got the free coffee, but I guess not if you were a kid.
1: I don't even know if they were offering it when I was oh. uh, a Are But, like, it's also, it's just nice. <laughs> Like, it is that's it it's just nice isn't it i like their essentials range i like the <laughs> fact they think there's like three different mozzarellas that deserve to be their essential <laughs> they're range. all
0: fully qualified to be termed essential
1: oh because the thing is like they actually explain by essential they mean they think good quality is essential which is you know oh i like that i feel man-tose. like <laughs> just respects me <laughs> in the way that the Sainsbury's like basics range is like you don't give a shit about <laughs> this we don't give a shit here we go. Which I also kind of, I enjoyed the honesty of the Sainsbury's Basics range as we all did. What's Excellent. your favourite supermarket, Faye? My favourite supermarket. So
0: when I moved to Ireland, the Irish do supermarkets well. Wow. My God. Go. So um, there's this supermarket in, in Ireland called Dunn's which is just like Waitrose and Marks and Spencers all like mixed together. But it's just like, but it's with, with none of that sort of air of gravitas of like, oh, I'm going to Marks and Spencers because you do you do your big shopping at Dunn's. A lot of supermarkets here, they'll have like a fresh orange juice machine where there's just like a pile of oranges and you can juice your own. It feels very European. So um, Irish supermarkets are just a treat. And there's like, a, there's, there's that one called Dunn's. There's another one near me called Super Value, which... You know, people joke that it's not super value, but it is bloody nice. And then you've also got Tesco here, and you're just like, why would I go to this Tesco when I've got lovely duns and lovely super value? Um, Tesco just feels like a bad dream.
1: They have Tesco in Dublin? Yeah. Why? Why not? I feel like I'd want to have a bit of a separation as the (laughs) Republic of Ireland. (laughs) There's Uh, a Tesco in um, Gibraltar. Oh, yeah. they're really into being British.
0: Tesco's everywhere, right? Tesco's like cockroaches after a nuclear war. They'll just spring (laughs) up.
1: (laughs) Yeah, occasionally you find one in like mainland Europe. You're just like, oh, how did you get here, sir?
0: I I don't think I've ever met anyone who's said Tesco is their favourite supermarket. But uh, listener, if you particularly enjoy the soul crushing experience of going to a Tesco, then oh, please why? drop us a line.
1: It's fine, fair. It's alright, oh, it's
0: fine. Okay, it's fine. The soul-crushing experience.
1: <laughs> Goodness gracious. Yeah. What did they do to you at Tesco?
0: I think it was just the sort of PTSD memories of always being hungover when you go in a place and it's just very bright. It's like, go into a Tesco. I think there's something about the lighting where it just feels brighter and more clinical in a Tesco versus like, a lot of other supermarkets where it's just a little bit easier on the eye, feels a little bit cozier, you know. Is that true? Does
1: say engage mood lighting?
0: It's, it's a great question I don't have the answer to on this podcast.
1: <laughs> Please write in. Yeah. Are you ready for a question, Faye? I am. All right. So I think for today we're going to talk about UK supermarkets and their ilk. I'm sure some of these principles will apply to international supermarkets, but we're just we're not going to touch the U.S. market today. No, that's that's too much for us. I don't We're know. Very tired.
0: I've barely even been in a U.S. supermarket, so uh, yeah, it's going to be nice for me to sort of conjure up those memories of home via this episode, except for Tesco.
1: I just feel like this is going to come back to bite you, Faye. I feel like Big Tesco is going to listen to this. And be like, <laughs> I shan't work with that woman. Okay, so my first question is about supermarket layout. Um, When you go into a supermarket, is there any particular reason why the biscuits are on one aisle and the fresh fruit in another? Mm -hmm. Uh, Is there some kind of design going on? And if there is some kind of design going on, what are the supermarkets trying to make me do?
0: Yes. So overall, yeah, there are a few kind of constant themes around supermarket layout. Broadly, and then within each section, there's lots of principles. So we'll probably cover some of those. Um, one thing you might have noticed about some supermarkets is there'll be almost like a one-way type system in terms of the door you go in. You can't turn around and leave again. Almost like an IKEA, you know, <laughs> <when you're, laughs> the one-way system. It's like the like Hotel California, right? You can come in anytime you like, but you can't leave unless you go past all the shit we want you to buy. <laughs> So, yeah, a lot of them...
1: um... I'm glad they dropped that (laughs) line from the sock.
0: And also, you know, have you ever noticed how you can only tend to exit via a checkout? Sometimes it's really hard to get out of a supermarket unless you buy something, isn't it? Otherwise you have to do that awkward shuffle through the barrier. And I noticed that a lot in um, Lidl and Aldi especially. They'll have that. So, like, broadly, you know, they are trying to funnel you like a conveyor belt through all the kind of main points that they want you to hit. So, yeah, what you were saying about um, the fruit being at the start and um, biscuits being somewhere else. Broadly, what they'll try and do is split up the things which you might call like essentials to make sure that you cover as much ground as possible throughout the supermarket. So they'll probably Mm. entice you in. And have you noticed all the fresh stuff? It's the stuff that looks the nicest. There'll be sometimes a lot of theatre that might go on. Um, So you might have all these pallets at the front of the store with these stacks of brightly coloured vegetables. Um, You might often have the bakery at the start. So it's very sensorial. There was one great example that I saw. So Morrison's does this really well. They have this concept of market street at the the front of the store where that's where all the fresh good stuff is and they had a few stores in Surrey where they had like dry ice coming out of coming out of some of these like fruit stands like
1: oh fresh um the thing I really enjoy about this is yeah. um, I don't really get what the dry ice is meant to symbolize because fruit doesn't come from <laughs> a land of ice it comes from just like a tree a farm or an <laughs> no. orchard probably in either a temperate or hot climate because if it was a cold climate i don't think it would necessarily be the best for growing this product no
0: i wonder what sort of yeah. consumer consumer focus group they had which was like
1: yeah dry ice is fresh isn't it um maybe people just like dry ice though because to be oh, fair i found that very impressive
0: i would go up to it so then yeah, that's it you know does it need to symbolize freshness or is it just about kind of interrupting you which uh, i'll come on to as kind of another principle I
1: think but also the magic of dry eyes because sometimes if I go to a very big supermarket and you know I grew up in London where they just have like smaller ones generally yeah but if you go to a really big supermarket or indeed an American supermarket if you've ever been to America um and it's a well-stocked one there's something about like just the piles of food which can make you feel a bit like secure like
0: there shan't be uh-huh. a famine
1: there's just something like very primal and reassuring yes. about that
0: the I like
1: to think the dry ice is just sort of like adding to the magic of plenty.
0: I love it. I love it. Yeah. yeah. So there's this real theatre at the start of the store, and also that's the fresh good stuff.
1: So there's some theories... it's not, mm. And uh... is that just like a splitting away? Th- so is it basically as long as you have something at the beginning that's all eye grabbing? You can shove your fruit wherever far away.
0: Yeah, I think broadly, okay. Most most of the ones you will have your fresh at the start, but yeah. yeah, that principle of splitting up. So you'll have your like. So if you think of essentials, you'll have like milk, bread, um, eggs, and they'll all be at different places to try and get you through uh, at different points.
1: Eggs, I'm always uncertain where they'll be, and I don't know. Okay,
0: that's... that is no, that is a really. It's interesting you bring that up because. Um, is okay, that so. Yes, so so there's one so yeah. Broadly, layouts will try and get you to cover as much ground as possible. But the second principle is all about disruption, which brings me back to this eggs point. So, when uh, exciting, right? Uh, (laughs) Easter, Easter soon. I know. When you are shopping, especially if you're shopping in the same sort of place where you already always shop, you are sort of on autopilot, and human beings make like 98% of their decisions or something on autopilot. Otherwise life would just be exhausting. <laughs> Imagine. So yeah, when you are doing your shopping, a lot of the time you are just stuck in this rut of, right, I need this, I need that, I need this. You're often shopping on a list. Um, so you might not be that open to being kind of tricked into buying more stuff. So what supermarkets are really trying to do is is disrupt you. So one of the ways they'll try and do that is sometimes by moving things around and eggs are one of the main things that supermarkets move around because you're right it's a mystery like where the fuck are the eggs whenever you go into a new supermarket it changes every time
1: doesn't it okay this is an audio format so (laughs) this is laura's face my face it's like i've just found out i'm living in the matrix (laughs) (laughs) so it's it's
0: not it's not me no, This isn't a fault of mine. It's the thing. I'm so glad you said that because, yeah, eggs is like a key <gasps> battleground. Um, so this thing That'd about disruption perfect. then, sometimes supermarkets will reorganise just deliberately to, to kind of interrupt you. But that is obviously a very resource intensive thing, which we'll go into in terms of, you know, how often supermarkets are kind of relayed out and restructured. But there are parts of the supermarket which change all the time. So when we think about layouts and when you're, you work in the quote unquote industry like me, you'll mm. think about two types of basically places in the supermarket where the stock is positioned. So um, there'll be sort of permanent and non-permanent. There'll be the place where, you know, the aisles of the supermarket, the shelves, where stuff is just always there, always in the same place, 365 days a year. And then there'll be various places within the store where things change all the time. Um, And that's what we refer to as display. So display space. Um, So that's the
1: impermanent, always changing bits.
0: Always changing. So display is really about trying to disrupt you. And a lot of shoppers will only shop from the display. Like they won't even go down the aisles. They'll just whiz around the supermarket around, you know, the various like pallet stacks or the ends of an aisle, uh, because that's where the best deals are.
1: How is it possible to only shop from display? Yeah, I've always
0: questioned this concept. <laughs> and have a but,
1: well-rounded diet.
0: But a lot of shoppers, like you you know yourself, sometimes you will just be prompted into buying stuff from from those areas where you'll see the big offer cards that say like half price, and you'll walk around and you'll just pick stuff up. And that's probably where you might buy stuff which you you know maybe wasn't on your list or you might uh, you might you might not have bought that brand before. So display is the main tool that supermarkets have to really basically get shoppers to add more items to their basket, which is all about is, is kind of one of the one of the main ways supermarkets grow. It's getting shoppers to getting more shoppers in and getting those shoppers to
1: spend more in their shop. So in terms of display, mm. do you have some fun terminology? I
0: do. Oh,
1: um, I thought you might.
0: So this whole supermarkets topic is full of random ass terms, which some of them don't make any sense to me at all, but um, but I, I use them every day. And uh, yeah, I thought I'd just tell you about what some of those terms are uh, when we're talking about display. So my favourite one, like we said, there's permanent shelf space, which is where everything is kind of normally placed. And then if you've noticed the ends of the shelves um so often there'll be like a middle aisle in the middle of the supermarket with just like like a big supermarket with um almost like a thoroughfare through the middle with all these Mm. ends down it and those ends are called gondola ends like the boat
1: boats which are famously flat on both uh -hmm. front and back i i don't make the terms (laughs) it's just so bizarre like what are they trying to convey with that term
0: I don't know, and I really should have looked that up before this podcast. So maybe I... <laughs> I'll do that afterwards.
1: But... I, don't know. I like the mystery.
0: <laughs> yeah, exactly. So I... <laughs> gondola ends. That's where the best deals will be kind of kept. So all the promoted items uh, will be on the gondola ends, and they'll switch up kind of every few weeks. And those are the most like lucrative part of the supermarket for the supermarket. So that's where they want to put things which will sell the most and get them the biggest kind of spikes of of sales through the till. Cool. Okay, another so, type. Go on. Go so on. Yeah, just
1: a question about the gondola ends. Um, I have been known to shop in a supermarket, and I do kind of look out for those gondola ends, and I'm kind of, like, excited by what that'll be. And hmm. I always assumed that was because I kind of associate it with, like, chocolate and crisps and oh. treats. But is that even the case? Are they particularly,
0: like... So... Sometimes, supermarket kind of teams, they're structured into different groups of people responsible for different categories. So when I say categories, I mean like laundry versus pet food, versus chocolate, versus meat, whatever. Is this at yeah. HQ level? This is at HQ. So cool. you'll have HQ and then you'll have all these different people working in them responsible for making those different categories as big as possible or as as you know, lucrative sales wise as possible in order to make sure that their supermarket gets the biggest market share. So mm-hmm. that's that's the goal. Supermarkets want the biggest market share, which is kind of most shoppers and, and most amount of uh, spend per basket through their stores.
1: So in, if in the UK there's going to be X trillion spent on pet food, Mr Sainsbury's wants his share of the pet food to be way bigger than everyone else's share.
0: Exactly. Exactly. So um, your question about like, do the treats normally live on on the aisle, uh, on the end of the aisle, on the gondola end? Yeah, sometimes. But normally those gondola ends are kind of reserved for each category. So whilst the display space, uh, whilst what's on those displays will change every cycle, normally the same gondola end in the same store will have, say, laundry detergents on it all the time. It will just rotate which laundry detergent is on it. So broadly, those gondola ends, uh, they change all the time, but they'll broadly sit in the same categories. There's an exception, which is... So a different type of display is a display type we call front of store. Because guess why? It's slightly less cryptic.
1: (laughs) I think I got this one. When you enter the store, you see it immediately?
0: Boom. She's a clever one, listeners. Yeah, so the front of store is probably... I say the gondola ends are the most lucrative. Really the front of store is like the big money. That's where that's where the most sales are made. And that can just be random. It'll be anything. So you'll often see when there's like a bank holiday coming up, loads of booze,
1: mm. Christmas,
0: loads of chocolates. Um
1: loads of prosecco.
0: Loads of prosecco. So throughout the year at yeah. random points. Yes. And like that's where Yeah. Summer, prosecco. Graham Norton. Um <laughs> And that is where the buyers will all so all those buyers, Mr. Meat, Mr. Pet Care, Mrs. Laundry, will all be fighting because they want to get that front of store space so that their category explodes. But if Mr. Laundry won't sell as much front of store as Miss Chocolate, then Miss Chocolate will get that get that front of store space. So lots of different points of display, all to disrupt the shopper. Um, and I think your point on treats is also really interesting because another common like point of interruption is the till space.
1: I call it the like Isle of Temptation, that Love like space it. right by, is that not an official term? Did I just make that I up? don't
0: know, maybe it is, but you're you're bang on with that term because it is the impulse buying section. So traditionally that would be full of things that are either sort of unnecessary, but but, you know, you've done a big shop and you're like, I need a treat now. So chocolate. Yeah. Um, things which you might have forgotten. So say batteries. And also, you know, you're static at that point, right? So you're in a queue. So maybe things like chocolate will also grab the attention of small children because they're bored. And they're like, mom, can we leave? Will you buy me that chocolate? And the mom's like, yeah, go on, shut up. So, yeah, the Isle of Temptation is one of the other kind of interruption points. I hope um, that catches on. Yes, and there was some there was some really interesting stuff more recently in the UK about um, the ethics of the Isle of Temptation, right? And some supermarkets being like, "We will not partake in this because it's uh, you know we don't believe it's the right thing to do to put a load of chocolate there." There's an obesity epidemic, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Uh, have you noticed that in any any supermarkets?
1: You know, what? I have actually noticed that. And now I'm trying to remember which one it was Mm. (laughs) because I'm like, there's definitely, I want to say it was Tesco Mm. that decided to take like a stance on this issue and not Sainsbury's. But is that correct?
0: Um, Tesco definitely did, but it was kind of broad. So essentially one of the things that happened as the UK government has become more and more hot on obesity which you know again subject for another podcast Whether there's some
1: air quotes when Faye says obesity
0: yes um again, this is so, <laughs> yeah I, I really should stop doing that uh what a lot of supermarkets and the government were kind of talking about is right you know we've got this obesity crisis supermarkets obviously sell food therefore supermarkets like can you actually you know take on take on a role in this like you have a responsibility to do something and the supermarkets are all like Mm. fine so what a lot of the supermarkets did was something which is almost like a compromise situation because what supermarkets don't want is the government to really regulate them so mm. no the government didn't say you can't have this this and this at your tills, but there was sort of a like a code of sort of conduct that came in which talked about this idea of sugar- free tills and what that led to a few supermarkets doing was one of their tills only <laughs> would be sugar free. <laughs> There's, like, a tick box, like, there you go,
1: Uh, officer. The thing is, it's not, like, the till specifically I'm thinking about. It's, like, when you're in the queue and like, weird little healthy aisles. So, we're, like, oh, we can't have a chocolate bar, but, like, maybe you can have, like, Carb Killer or, like, one of those, like, weird energy bars. Or, like, like,
0: a Grey's Flapjack. I think it's really an optics thing. Like, yeah, we probably don't want a load of Maltesers there, but we can have Grey's Protein Flapjacks, which are probably just as bad for you, but they look like the supermarket's really trying to do something good. So, I
1: yeah. wondered mm. if, I guess this is my question, and I'm not expecting an answer because it's probably quite a hard one to really pinpoint. The supermarkets that did kind of go with that and try to make their, like, you know, healthier aisles of Temptation, did they gain from that? Because, you know, I'm assuming that you already make a choice if you think you can stand to profit from it as a big supermarket. Um... I'm trying not to, you know, naively believe that they generally want to uh, prevent me from ingesting too many Cadbury milks. Like, so did they, like, get anything from that, either as, like, a status thing or, like, a kind of branding kind of potential? Or would they have been better off just continuing to sell, like, Doritos and whatever, like, the other supermarkets and making that extra money that way?
0: So... I very much doubt there will have be been any specific gains just from ex supermarkets saying we will not put this at our tills. Sure, there'll be like a bigger play. So all the supermarkets, as you'll notice, are all trying to all trying to be seen as we are the most good and holy of the supermarkets. So like as part of a broader initiative, yes, if supermarkets kind of improve how the public see them, then yeah, they might have gained more um more shoppers and stuff but to be honest i would say cynically that it would be a longer term play to just try and stop the government from regulating them so it's almost like a hit that i can no. afford to take to prevent a longer term worse hit
1: if right you like. so i was cynically thinking it was to like win over like public approval but actually it might be to win Stave over off
0: a, a yeah. worse evil yeah, the regulators come in and... I
1: don't really call that an evil, but I suppose from the perspective of a Mr. Large a chick,
0: Mr. Tesco, yeah.
1: Um, yeah, I can't believe Mr. Tesco just named his supermarket after himself. I know. <laughs> not, uh, not very imaginative. Then again, Sainsbury's. <laughs> exactly. Um, another thing I wanted to ask, in terms of the permanent space, we've talked about the stuff that kind of moves around... I would say that not all shelf space is equal. I'm going to guess that. I'm going to imagine you don't want your product like really close to the floor or really high up. So can you tell me a bit more about how that works and how they choose which products get to be in the prime space or what the yes. prime space is? The prime
0: slot, exactly. Prime time. Um, so one of the kind of key things that all brands will want is to be at eye level. And no prizes for guessing why that is. <laughs> it's uh, it's because, obviously, that is the product, where, again, when we're talking about kind of getting your attention, it's the product that is automatically in your face. It's interesting when we say eye level, because obviously people are different heights, right? But mm. average eye level, um, sure. that's where brands will want to be. And normally when supermarkets are designing their layout, that is where also the products that the supermarkets want to be as well. So normally the products which will drive the most amount of sales for a supermarket. So the most premium products, for example, will often be at eye level. And the most premium, but also the ones with the biggest market share, the biggest brands. Those are the products that really everyone wins, as in supermarkets, and the best supplier will win if you if you put your products at eye level and uh, get, get shoppers to, to buy from that level. But there's a few other things within it as well. And supermarkets have this principle called good, better, best. Which is, and I, it always makes me laugh, because it's like, nothing is bad. <laughs> but they're only good.
1: <laughs> but it could be better, or it could be best.
0: <laughs> yeah. You know, aim higher, guys. So um, what a lot of supermarkets will do is design their aisles from left to right so normally what that often can mean is the supermarket own label brand or the brand with the lowest market share and that's the cheapest will often be at the bottom left hand corner whereas the best stuff is closer to the right and closer to the kind of eye level position but that's a kind of bit of a problem because obviously shoppers could enter the aisle from either way. Mm-hmm. Right. So what some supermarkets are now trying to do is get the best products in the middle. So really the bullseye, middle of the shelf, mm-hmm. eye level is where the best stuff will be. And brands. So people like people like me will spend a lot of time arguing with supermarkets, trying to get their products at the eye level because supermarkets only really change their shelves Some of them like once a year, some of them twice a year if you're lucky in this big process called a range review. So the battle of eye level is one where you really want to try and win.
1: So you just talked about um, products trying to get certain spaces in supermarkets and I want to dig a little deeper with that. Mm -hmm. So say I have a laundry powder. My laundry powder is called <laughs> Gaz. <laughs> <laughs> and, yes. You know, Gaz. Gaz is more expensive than the supermarket own label. Uh, Gaz would argue that it's significantly better and that <laughs> it has a beloved brand history um, with lots of exciting adverts that have been, you know, on the TV for years. So you know, Gaz is trying to. Stake its claim in a world where it's now under constant competition with, uh, you know, more generic products or supermarket brand products. And, you know, it's also in competition with um, Jerry and Gariel and (laughs) possibly Gersel. Who's to say?
0: (laughs) But the the names have been changed for the the legal rights of this podcast.
1: (laughs) Yes. (laughs) <laughs> densely veiled names but yeah so i'm i'm here i've got gaz you know uh-huh. i want to I want to do my best for gaz i want to get gaz selling as much as gaz can possibly sell god bless it yeah. um and i'm you i am a woman of marketing i'm going to the supermarkets how do i fight for gaz how do i get gaz the best spot whether that's a gondola end or whether that's that middle aisle eye level vibe
0: got it Okay, so there are lots of things that Gaz can do. I'm really bought into Gaz's journey, <laughs> and I really, I really want to try and help. So one of the things which is kind of the most hard or the most difficult to influence, first of all, with this whole like getting on display or getting a good shelf position. So, and, and by the way, a good shelf position—it's not just where you are in the shelf, but something called a facing. So, and when I say a facing, it's how many times the same product is on that shelf so you might go next time you're in front of a shelf have a look because you might just see that one product will have like one two three of the same products in a row so it'll take up more of the shelf space right um Mm -hmm. versus some which might just have one facing of a product um and why do you think that is why do you think some products have more
1: presence because the supermarket wants to sell them more
0: yeah, and because and because those those products they do sell more. So they'll those would be the products
1: which which sell the most. They go hand in hand. It's very yeah. much a you scratch my back, I'll scratch yours situation. Yeah.
0: So one of the things that needs to happen is supermarkets because of various kind of cost savings and stuff, they only restock the shelves, some of them like once a day. So if you've only got one facing of a product on your shelf, um and it's a like really one popular drive. one yeah, like one row of products on your shelf. And uh, it's really popular, because it's the market leader, and they sell out, then all of a sudden, your shelf is empty. And then the next person who comes in won't be able to buy it. And because it might be the most popular product, they might just not buy that product in your store. And you've lost, you know, you've lost a decent chunk of money through the till. So it is in supermarkets best interest to ensure that not just any old shite is getting the most space on the shelf, because that brand Gaz has paid for it, or because they've argued for it but because it sells the most so the kind of first principle of 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 being a brand that gets good space is you can justify it it sells the most um which like you said it can often become this self fulfilling prophecy thing of well i need the space to sell but to sell i need to get the space so it's it's this kind of cyclical Cyclical thing. So, how do you break that?
1: It's like applying for a job after university.
0: Yes, exactly. <laughs> like, how do I get the experience?
1: <laughs> just don't have the experience if you're a new brand. But if you're um, Gaz, who, as we described before, is a you know a well-established brand, you can come at them with data. I assume you've got figures, you've got facts. You can be like Gaz has sold X number of units, so you should give Gaz a go and lots of shelf space.
0: Exactly. So a lot of how you can get gas to get better shelf space will be all behind this cell that companies will put together to try and convince the retailer that that is the best thing for both of them in kind of a you scratch back, I scratch yours situation. So for example, they might be able to convince them that currently um, the gas shopper is being underserved by that particular retailer and is either going elsewhere or they may be buying a cheaper product, um, whereas if you put gas in a more prominent position, uh, that shopper might decide to trade up, which is what what the term we use for spend more money uh, mm-hmm. and buy into gas rather than buying a private label. Or they might
1: actually private label is like the supermarket label. Own or... label,
0: sorry. Yeah. Own label, private label. Yes, the supermarket's own brand. Which ultimately, yes, the supermarket has its own brand but that tends to be cheaper. So again, the supermarket wants to sell brands. They want to sell things that are more expensive.
1: Sorry, just to pause you on that. Mm. The supermarket wants you to buy the big brand, not their own brand. Yes. But wouldn't they keep like all the profits from their own brand, or is the profit margin just not big enough?
0: The profit margin will often be lower on an own brand. Because slash... it's cheaper. Because it's cheaper. Exactly. So... Um, there's a whole lot of different roles for own brands which maybe let's come back to
1: sure we'll put a pin in that
0: we'll put a pin in that because um, own label is a whole a whole different kettle of fish but yeah so um, so in terms of Gaz's shelf space then it will often need to do a big sell to kind of justify its existence which can include like look how much marketing I'm putting behind this. You'd be an idiot, Mr. Buyer, if you didn't put gas in a better place because all these shoppers are all of a sudden going to run in and be like, I want to buy gas because I've seen it on TV. Um, oh, so
1: it's not just how many sales you've done, but you could be like, we're about to launch this campaign. I think it's going to go viral. It's going to have all these TV ads. It's going to have all this like YouTube ads.
0: Exactly. It's all about the future because there'll be a reason why that supermarket hasn't put gas in a good place before because it didn't sell very well. So it can't justify it. So it can't justify its own existence. So um, a lot of it will be, yeah, yeah, that's the past, but this is what we're going to do to improve that for, for both of us. So a lot of it will be in the cell. Um okay. another way that mm. gas could unlock <laughs> mm, more Shelf space slash display space is through something called differentiation. So what supermarkets, like we've talked, are kind of really trying to do is is win share. So they're trying to be the biggest supermarket, the, the place where more shoppers are going for X, Y and Z item. So one thing that supermarkets want is to be considered special or to be considered to have something different, which will make a shopper choose to go to that supermarket versus something else another supermarket for example so supermarkets love this thing called differentiation and that can be things like a exclusive pack so gaz might do like a special edition so have you ever seen brands do like valentine's day pack or Mm. lady gaga themed oreos or just random ass stuff which Mm. you're like why why is why is this laundry brand doing a Wimbledon special edition? Often, they'll have gone into that retailer and given them that as like a cherry on the top to say, look, hey, I realise you're going to do us a solid here by putting us on display, so I've got something special for you, Sainsbury's. Here's a pack with Tim Henman on it, um, just for you. And I love the logic of this, because like, in reality, does that actually make anyone go into that supermarket? Mm, questionable. But it's just, it's it's something different to make that buyer feel special because buyers are people and they love to feel special
1: so would this be i'm going to uh sainsbury's and saying for sainsbury's we'll make the valentine's day gas but we won't give that to tesco or are you offering it to all the different ones
0: you can do you can do either so it could be a case of i'm going to offer it out and see which retailer gives me the most for it
1: or you could go
0: and say, "Look, I really have like a, a, for example, a Tesco problem." So what I mean by that is, Gaz is selling amazingly in ASDA, but in yeah. Tesco, it's a dog. So yeah. I need to go and fix Tesco. So I'll go and throw throw the moon at Tesco to try and see if to try and see what they will bite on uh, and give me more space behind.
1: So I've never noticed certain supermarkets having special packaging and other ones not. Mm. So it probably
0: just shows you that actually that is, it's not particularly like shopper, doesn't really add value to a shopper. Um, Yes, maybe there'll be a competition on one of these packs or something, but really it's a very cynical tactic to unlock stuff on the retailer, not to actually win shoppers.
1: I see, because I thought you were going to be like, we could offer an exclusive to a supermarket, like you can be the only one to sell gas. But I'm guessing if it's a major laundry detergent that would just be ridiculous and like
0: yes exactly so you know have you ever watched the apprentice where they're doing a selling have I.
1: <laughs> yeah and really? they're like
0: you know the the buyer will often say can we have this exclusively and your man will be like yeah uh, and they'll, they'll pat themselves on the back like yes they made a big order but yes you're right ultimately growing brands is all about how many people you can get to buy them and if you're only in a tesco only a certain amount of people will ever even go in a Tesco, so you'd be you'd be stupid to to offer something exclusively, like full stop. So that's why we do these. You know, maybe you won't offer gas, but you might offer a certain size of gas, like a ten wash versus a fifteen wash that Sainsbury's has.
1: I'm also into Valentine's Day gas. I think All that, that. Be...
0: buy your loved one. Oh, we've missed it now, sadly, but next time.
1: You could do something kind of saucy about cleaning sheets. I don't know. I feel like you could do something a little bit bit cheeky.
0: Exactly. This is going to get Mr Tesco, his ears to prick up.
1: (laughs) I can see you on display already. Um, Do you ever just like offer money? (laughs) Can you ever just buy shelf space? Excellent question.
0: So this is one of those areas which is quite heavily regulated. The Competition Commission and, you know, competitive law in the UK often comes in to prevent supermarkets from being the baddies there was kind of a code of practice set up called gscop grocery supply code of practice and it was set up by in 2009 by the labor government which i just made my heart sing when i read that because i was like wait we had a labor government when was when was that oh that was Uh... a very long time (laughs) ago. there's a lot of regulation we talked a bit about regulation but there's a lot of regulation which goes into making sure that supermarkets can't kind of exercise and throw their weight around to ensure that little suppliers so makers of kind of you know s- startups or small products so that they can even have a fighting chance because if everyone like you say could pay for amazing space in a supermarket then you'd never get little brands in mm-hmm. a supermarket and even you might notice you don't get that many little brands in a supermarket which is why a lot of them sell online and do all this instagram selling because it, there are a lot of barriers to getting mm-hmm. yourself listed in, in a Tesco. But yes, in, in some way, you can pay for space, but there are rules. For example, if you are a dominant brand, and dominant brand is deliberately a bit of a woolly term uh, and a bit of a woolly legal term, but from what you were saying, it doesn't sound like Gaz is a dominant brand, but essentially there's a rule to make sure that big brands don't get even bigger than they should be by just being able to throw their money around. So if you are like a market leader, you can't be paying for more space than you deserve. So more space than your kind of size of market share would justify on shelf. So if you imagine if you imagine a shelf, if your brand has 50% share of the market, so if 50% simply in simple terms of people buy your brand, in theory, you should have 50% of the shelf, but no more.
1: So that's an interesting one because uh, say I've got this other... I, I have this other brand I'm working with. It's wow. called um, Mocha Mola. So <laughs> <laughs> Mocha is is uh, the dominant cola beverage.
0: Sure. Other, other colas are available.
1: Other, yeah, I've heard that Mepsi is getting a bit, like, <laughs> <foods>. But.
0: <laughs> I love Mepsi. Mepsi, Mepsi Max.
1: <laughs> is Mepsi okay? <laughs> <laughs> um, but, yeah, so if you're like Mocha Mola and you are, like, the dominant, Mm-hmm. brand but you're not necessarily the dominant soft drink brand because you've got uh, am I going to continue doing my M thing, yes you've got Mebana You started so you're Lott finished <laughs> and Mango which is a very confusing one. Manta Manta uh, <laughs> and of course Minto oh my uh, favourite yeah. yeah so which would you count like how specific are these market shares going down it, to? it
0: it would be of the soft drink category so it would be at a drinks category level so yes of course if you're comparing cola to pepsi like i really, did not do any such thing, sorry, sorry. Excuse, excuse me we'll beat those out um <laughs> yeah really your competitor like coca-cola or Moca cola your competitor is all the drinks you could buy not just colas
1: so i guess it's like they don't want the dominant brands to just like shell out and like mm-hmm. conquer the supermarket but then obviously smaller brands will if they pay money would be getting more than their fair share so is it just to do with like is it slightly woolly and kind of like well you know you kind of yeah it's
0: it's really to do with giving smaller suppliers a fair shot
1: cool and do these principles that you're describing, so the cell, um, the differentiation, uh, possibly the money, uh, apply for the display stuff as well? So if I want like my little cardboard stand filled with uh, gas, would I just be doing the same kind of process I would be doing for shelf space?
0: Yes, very similar. But again, it all comes back to remember what we said about display being the most lucrative part of a part of the store. So it would be a huge risk for a buyer to say, right, instead of Gersil, I'm gonna put gas on display. Um, if even if it's a special pack, even if I've been giving a little bit of money, even if, yeah, you've got this amazing marketing campaign coming on, if there's a, a really good chance that it's not gonna sell even like half as much as Persil, Gersil, <coughs> excuse me, then I what well, I don't know what Persil is, um then, then, then yeah, you probably still won't get that display space. Or if you did, you wouldn't get it again if it failed. So sometimes buyers will take risks. Sometimes they'll be like, "Yeah, okay, let's give this a shot." But if it doesn't pay out, they won't continue.
1: Speaking of selling products, <laughs> yeah, the most seamless segue I've ever <laughs> Um. Okay, so this is something you've alluded to before but like there's a big a big focus on sales on supermarkets um two for ones or x percent off or whatever and I'm curious how do they figure out what goes on sale how it goes on sale and I believe there are certain rules about how like there are legal rules about how long something can be on sale before they're like, that's not on sale. That's just the price. So can yes. you tell me a little bit about like how the psychology of sales in supermarkets?
0: Yes, I absolutely can. So, um, just before we get into it, like when a product is, so I, so when you say on sale, I would call that a promotion or on a deal because obviously everything's on sale. So we're talking oh, yes. about a discounted or a a price, which it isn't normally. Who do you think pays for that?
1: Oh, is it the product? Yeah. Manufacturer? Yeah.
0: (laughs) So when you walk into Tesco and you see something on half price, it won't be Tesco generally funding that promotion. It will be the supplier. So so yes, promotions are a tool um, to help both the supplier and the retailer. And there are, as you can expect, and as we've already talked about regulations, loads of different... Do's and don'ts and reasons why things are promoted to the extent they are, blah, blah, blah. So an inter- one of the interesting kind of parts of this comes back to like, and, and some of this regulation comes back to trust. So back in the like, to after the 2008 recession and when you started to see Aldi and Lidl start to get much bigger, obviously that really worried retail gross like standard grocer retailers like tesco and asda and sainsbury's because these so-called discounters were taking a lot of their customers away and taking a lot of their market share away um and one of the reasons that people love aldi and little is you kind of know the price that you go in there when you go in there is going to be like the same like have you ever noticed that that you go into aldi and little and you always know you're going to get a good deal
1: It's like they might have like slightly discounted vegetables from one week to the next, but yeah, you're never like you never feel like you're ripped off. Yeah, the any sales they have are kind of like oh, this really cheap thing is now even cheaper, cheaper. or it's like the crazy mystery aisle in the center of the store. Who knows what I shall find?
0: The best, the treasure trove. I wish all supermarkets had a middle aisle.
1: Um, I think that is a big selling point of mm. Aldi for like um. Like middle aged dads. <laughs>
0: yeah. I'm going to come back with a lawnmower and a sandcastle set. Yeah. So, one of the things that Grocers noticed was that Aldi and Lidl just had this vibe of being great value all the time, and shoppers mm. trusted them more. Whereas, if you go into like a, a Tesco sometimes, it'll be like half price. But a lot of shoppers were like, yeah, but is that really half price? Like, was it ever sold at that full price? So a lot of what a lot of grocery retailers, Tesco's and Astas of the world started to do was they started wanting to be more um, consistent with their pricing rather than doing a lot of what we might call high low activity, not the
1: podcast,
0: a promotion. So when you see something on a really high price and then it goes to a really low price, we would call that high low activity.
1: It's kind of like um, if you had a store that was for years and years, like, oh, we're closing down, we've got to get rid of everything. <laughs> it's like DFS. They're yeah, always on like, sale. But yeah, I guess it's that sense of if you're constantly saying this thing is on sale, you are like, no, that was just the price always. You artificially inflated it to massively cut it down. Yes.
0: So, one, supermarkets don't want to be seen as deceiving people because they're really trying to compete with these other guys who can offer quote-unquote, good value all the time. So supermarkets are often trying to move away from this sort of high-low way of doing their pricing. But there are lots of rules to make sure that they aren't just completely taking the piss. Really, the main rule is if something's on deal, it shouldn't be on on that deal, on that promotion, at that lower price, um, more for more weeks of the year than it isn't. So what you got before a lot of this regulation came in was, like half price but it had only ever been on that you know it only ever been six quid for one week of the year versus 51 weeks at three quid yeah so, so what a lot of kind of brands and supermarkets will often have is half price 24 24 26 <laughs> 26 weeks wait but 26 would
1: be exactly half
0: yes so maybe 25 uh-huh. and a half a half weeks 26 26 is fine because it's not yeah. more than right it okay. be equal so they'll often have uh phase, quick maths skills. Um he's good, he's very twenty-six, twenty-six of a w wi- uh weeks of a year, something will be on promo and twenty-six weeks it won't be.
1: And what is like the psychology of a sale? So whilst we've kind of talked about the movement to trusting in like constant good value, we can't deny that sales still work. Like mm. still something plugs into us, whether it's like Black Friday or or like the boxing day sales that sense of like the sense of potential savings yeah it's still compelling
0: yeah it's all it's it's this scarcity mindset piece so if some if people believe that something is a, of a limited time or um then they're much more likely to buy into it at that time and there's this more sense of urgency around it um and so it kind of comes back to what we were saying before about trust and about wanting to be a bit more like Aldi and Lidl because this is real tension between wanting to offer something like at good value quote-unquote every day so like a consistent price every day versus knowing that for example deals of a limited time like a half price like a, a rollback etc they know that they they drive more sales so they drive these big high spikes of sales so supermarkets um what what a lot of them are kind of going through at the moment is they want to offer more everyday low value, which they know consumers like, but they also know that consumers are really attracted to deals. And if they go to something called EDLP, everyday low price, yes. <laughs> um, nice. Um, if they go to something like that and then they put that on for like a month and then they compare that month of sales versus the same month of sales a year ago, they see their sort of sales line go off a cliff, then they'll panic and they'll be like, shit, we need to turn on a half price again because our sales have gone down. So half prices work. They cause a scarcity mindset. Ultimately, retailers try and move away from offering loads of these half prices because they know that a lot of consumers don't trust them. Um, but
1: it's a delicate balance. I think there's also something to be said about triumph. Um People really enjoy getting a good deal, not just because of, like, you know, the fear of paying more, but the um, success of paying less, the sort of hunter gatherer thing. I don't know. But women will frequently mention, if you compliment an item of clothing, might be like, oh, I got that on sale Mm -hmm. or something. Um, Maybe not so much anymore. But I think. Thanks. Asda, George. (laughs) Yeah, there is something about, like, oh, I got second hand or whatever. There does seem to be something. Maybe it makes us feel smarter. Maybe it makes us feel more savvy. I don't know, but I yeah,
0: think it's... definitely. So again, like grocer, grocers and, and Tesco, they've done a lot of research into what makes people like deals. And there is this just element of of savviness and getting something which wasn't there the week before. It's another reason why consumers like going into an Aldi and Lidl because they're, they're often called like treasure hunters. They go around because they know that there might be find things in there which which they would expect to pay a lot more for at a different shop and when they find it in, Al- in an Aldi reality is it might not be actually that cheaper but it's just all about your perception and being like this is in an Aldi a place that I know it won't be next week so I've got to get it and you might go home and look on the internet and you might have got like a 25p saving <laughs> but you're right you just get this sense of achievement from it
1: that is interesting, though, that we still need this mixed economy and that we're never... Do you think we'll ever have, like, all supermarkets adopt the Aldi model? Or do you think there will always be this kind of mixture of um, the discounters versus the consciously high-end versus the sort of in-the-middle guys?
0: It's interesting. The One of the things um, we've seen since COVID has happened is the need for a one-stop shop. So what you'll have seen before is shoppers being more willing to shop around. So, for example, what like very few people will just shop in one supermarket.
1: Is that right?
0: Yeah, so um, very few people will just shop in one. What they might do is go to, um, they'll either do one big shop in one place and then top up shops in a place local to them, or they might go on an actual mission. So by that I mean they could go to, say, Aldi for their nappies which we see a lot, but get their fresh kind of fruit and veg in an Aldi as well, but get their brands in a Tesco. So their branded laundry detergent, their branded house cleaner, etc. cetera. Um, so you often see different types of missions because shoppers, they trust a discounter enough for one, but maybe not for everything. But uh, since COVID, there's been more of a need for one stop shop. Cause obviously you don't need to go out as you, you don't want to go out as much. And in that world, Aldi and Lidl have actually not done as well. And there's been much more of a swing back to grocers where, at least you know, in a Tesco, all the brands and all the products you, you want, they're going to be there. Like, they might not be as cheap, but it's less risky. So I think ultimately what shoppers want is to be able to get everything they need in one location in, in COVID time. So do I think Aldi is the future? Uh, not in its current form. But one of the things that Lidl's probably doing better than Aldi and that I think Aldi is going to try and copy is trying to bring more brands in. So Lidl has always done this hybrid of here's some cheap things that you haven't really heard of. And then here are a few brands. Aldi's thing has always often been like brands, but better. So they've had this really triumphant piece of we don't need brands, but actually they do. So if you go into an Aldi, you might find like celebrations sometimes because people want a branded Easter egg.
1: Yeah, or like they do have um, a name brand cola beverage. Mm -hmm. I've noticed recently in our local one of a specific flavour that is um, a lime flavour. So
0: let's let's talk about own brands versus brands' brands, because this is a, a good kind of segue.
1: So my one thing, I will never buy generic cola. This is because, you know, wherever you are on the brand name cola debate and whether you know you might have specific ethical misgivings about certain colas or whatever but what we can all agree on is generic supermarket cola doesn't taste good when i was a child i tried virgin cola once and it Mm -hmm. completely it was to this day, it haunts me. I can't even remember what taste it
0: tasted bad. I remember my first festival was the festival, so Virgin Festival, because I'm from Staffordshire and it was nearby. And I remember that year they only sold Virgin Cola. You could you couldn't buy Coke in the whole site. And yeah, you're right. It was a scarring experience.
1: It's just really bad. But like, yeah, so you're into like your Pepsi or whatever. There is just something like specific products. You're like. I'm not going to mess around with generic qualities. Or maybe you're into Karma Cola or something. That's (laughs) fine. Like, whatever your particular vibe is. So, do you think there's like a growth in trust in generic brands? Because one of the things I hear or have heard around as a consumer is this idea that the same factory will make the same products that can be either labeled, um, you know, generic or Mm. an Aldi brand, or it could be labeled this sort of like big brand that we Mm. have, like big advertising campaigns for so i feel like yeah if you're trying to be savvy more people are kind of willing to trust in the parallel brand um do you think that's like a general trend um i would
0: say uh it varies a lot by different types of product so different categories there's a lot of things supermarkets are trying to do to kind of improve their own brand proposition So their private label brand proposition for a few different reasons. In terms of like categories, yes, some categories are more commoditized than others. So by that, I mean, you're less like the brands play less of a significant role. So, for example, things like toilet paper is probably one of the most commoditized categories. So are you that bothered about buying Andrex versus buying own brand?
1: Or like pasta.
0: Yeah, so a lot of food, rice, um, pasta, um, sauces, milk. So there's a lot of categories, food and non food, which um, are very commoditized. And in that respect, I think private label is just as good and just as good and probably just as successful, like in terms of their share of the market. In a lot of other categories where brands are really strong, so like Coca Cola, like Kellogg's, like Heinz, Mm -hmm. the private label. so the supermarket's own brand has a lot more of a difficult job to do and that's where you'll start noticing supermarkets trying to copy brands which I tell you what my dream job would be (laughs) the person working in a supermarket coming up with all these knockoff you know the Mepsies of this world um, all these knockoff brands and they will copy them to such a scary degree so if you go to an Aldi You'll see the the whole, all the colours, all the cues. You'll see the products look so similar that a consumer could almost, like at a very primal level, could almost just mistake that product for the brand and buy it and then be like, oh. If um, you're not paying attention and yeah.
1: you're just really working in like kind of that automatic way. So really trying to
0: copy and cheat your way to the popularity and and the sort of the brand credibility that that, that brand has built. So one of the ways that supermarkets will do is just to, just to kind of shortcut that as a way to kind of ameliorate any of that risk factor you might have in choosing the supermarket's own brand ketchup versus the Heinz ketchup. But it's always going to be an uphill battle. And one thing that's really interesting is we were talking about earlier, supermarkets want you to buy brands. They don't necessarily want you to buy their private label versus the brand because it's ultimately cheaper and they'll make less money on that product more often than not. But one of the things that could work for them, remember, it's all about stealing market share off another supermarket. So if that supermarket has a product, which is cheaper than a brand, but to the consumer, they're like, oh, it's just as good. That is the opposite to a commodity, because they're like, I can only get that cheaper version in that supermarket, whereas I can get the brand anywhere.
1: So, so it becomes example, like a
0: destination, like Mamia Aldi nappies.
1: I was about to say, the Aldi nappies are seen as the competitor to... To Mampus. To Mampers. Mampers. <laughs> exactly. And also, that probably plays into that sense of savviness, doesn't it?
0: Totally. Exactly, because you're paying for a product which isn't the brand, but you don't notice a difference, and you'll see that on a lot of these programs, or, or what a lot of what Aldi's whole marketing strategy is trying to do, which is trying to compare and say you won't notice a difference. You are being stupid by paying for this branded product. So why not you're pay being less? Being swindled. You're being swindled, you idiot. Yes. What I was, what I was just going to do is, is tell you some of my favourite own label knockoff names
1: okay can i guess what they are meant to emulate? yes
0: okay okay jeeves jeeves like the butler like the butler
1: oh i don't know what is it so
0: jeeves is tesco's own brand Pims. Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> which is so like tongue in cheek i see this is why it would be my dream job because i just love that like Pims is for you all you poshos what's a posh thing
1: <laughs> jeeps i feel like also sometimes they are just like having a giggle totally i think they're just taking the piss and i think that's in itself a weird marketing thing because Mm. we're going in and be like oh yeah you respect (laughs) it No,
0: it's it's that whole underdog mentality of like hee hee um and and then and and that's kind of branding and again it becomes less of a commodity and more of a you have a more of a rational reason to want to buy it versus just the price so very, um, give, me another one, give me another one okay my absolute favorite one okay. is and i'll tell you that i'll tell you what it is because it's too easy otherwise so the brand i can't believe it's not butter yeah there is an own label knockoff i once saw and i actually can't remember what supermarket this was in but it was just called what question mark <laughs> <laughs> not butter <laughs> <laughs> what's not butter um honestly genius Oh, yeah, those are my funniest favourite. But I think Puffin, um, so Puffin.
1: Is that like a fake penguin?
0: Yes, it was Asda's fake penguin. And that was one of the first, I think, examples. I think Asda, before Aldi and Lidl were even like a glimmer in in the market's eye, Asda started doing this. So Puffin, yes, was their knockoff of Penguin.
1: Another thing about supermarkets, which I um, find interesting, Mm -hmm. is their ability to decide... On the beginnings of holiday seasons <laughs> and in a way to help make holidays a bigger deal so for example when I was a child I feel like there was significantly less Halloween stuff in supermarkets than there is now I feel like there has been a sort of growth there I guess my first question is when it comes to that kind of stuff how much is it is the supermarket leading um, the mainstreamification of a holiday, and how much is it just responding? Mm. so you could take Halloween, for example. how much do supermarkets shape a culture? yeah, a way, and how much I does culture
0: supermarkets. I think that's a great question. I think a lot like absolutely, I think what people will buy is dictated by what the supermarkets sell so i yeah, this is a a really interesting one in terms of the power that supermarkets have, and like why they do these things. Yes, your question about like, you know, is Halloween bigger, um, you know, bigger every year? Is Pancake Day a thing? Do you suddenly start seeing new things in a supermarket? Is there Graham Norton Prosecco everywhere for St. Patrick's Day? Yeah, like ultimately what supermarkets are trying to do and it, it comes is, is a few things. Um, one of them will be they are always compared as with a lot of, a lot of the private sector, they're always comparing their sales versus last year. So if they look at their sales last year and they've got a big spike in sales, which starts December 1st, let's say, or September 15th for Halloween, then one of the things they need to do is deliver more sales the year after, in that same around that same period. So there are certain levers that they can pull. They could put even more display towards ha- Halloween. So put even more Halloween stuff in your face. Or they could go like a week earlier and try and just have more weeks where people will will buy Halloween-related stuff. So often this is this sort of this sort of competition of of how do we beat ourselves last year. And that's where you'll get supermarkets adding in new holidays and new events. But ultimately, as well as trying to beat last year, what they're really trying to do as as we keep coming back to is trying to steal steel market share. So if all the retailers start their Christmas display around December 1st, which we know they don't. We know it's more like October, um, the day after Halloween. Yeah, if all retailers do that, great. But if one sneaky retailer decides to go a week earlier, then again, there's potential to get a head start and win more of that Christmas share. You'll often see yourselves after Christmas, there'll be reports in the news of ex-retailer grew their Christmas sales and why retailer declined and um, they'll get a bit of bad press for it. So... It is all tactics built around stealing share and and trying to do better than you did the year before.
1: Do supermarkets keep their ears to the ground on this kind of stuff? Do they like spot these trends and then decide, you know, what we're going to really like back this? Go
0: after. Yeah, for sure. For sure. So again, that whole piece of stealing market share, it's all and building on everything they do last year. It's all about what new stuff can we add that differentiates us. So um, you might see things like not just calendar events, but trying to create events, just, just create them out of thin air. So
1: love day,
0: love day. But but <laughs> exactly. But things like baby events. So a baby event is this thing that um, actually Asda started uh, as a way to basically, again, bring moms, especially bring mums in at a time when. Uh, Asda would advertise really heavily, like, this is the baby event, this is when we're going to make everything for babies really cheap, and you should come into Asda. But then the funny thing is, all retailers then started to copy this and create their own baby events, a lot of which tend to be at the same time, one particular in January. So again, it's 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 not it's like this zero-sum game. It's not an event anymore. It just becomes the norm. So then you have to invent something else the next year, and it's, it's this constant battle of differentiation.
1: So I guess say I wanted to make Saint Piran's Day. What Saint Piran's day. day? It's um the day celebrating the patron saint Piran, who I believe is the patron of the portal. Oh. So it's a it's a big day for the Cornish, the Cornish, but not um, the Devonish. We're we're not speaking about the Devonish. Stop letting the Devonish <laughs> <you> serve <laughs> this Cornish narrative. <laughs> uh, but yeah, say so, you know I'm just like. I try to make St. Parents' Day like the next St. Patrick's Day. I want people to be celebrating it across the UK. Like, I want it to be a whole big deal. I want people to be buying Cornish products. Um, I want people to be eating Cornish passies, maybe buying like little Cornish flags as like decoration for this day. But would a supermarket be able to do that?
0: In theory, they could absolutely do that. Um, they could... There'll be a few things they'd have to do to make it successful, like, for example, talk about it outside the store so you attract new shoppers rather than just getting your existing shoppers to buy into it. But I would say it would be a tricky one because it comes back to that risk element of if they put St. Piran's stuff everywhere, Cornish pasties, you know, tripping over tripping over them in the aisles, then again, that comes at the expense of something else. So it also, could be a massive.
1: Fresh. A... Yeah,
0: so it could be a big flop, and then, well, that's difficult to recover from. So, yes, in theory, in practice, would they do it? I'd be surprised.
1: So, when does Christmas start now? When do you think Christmas is going to start in 2021? Uh, um,
0: Jan 1st. <laughs> <laughs> it's been gone. Um, oh, it's an interesting. I mean, this whole year has been so rocked by. By covid etc so if you think about what we were talking about about how you're always comparing to your sales a year ago last year just threw everything out of whack because a lot of supermarkets did incredibly well out of covid like in terms of lots of panic buying lots of cl- like actual growth of categories so more cleaners cleaning products being bought um potentially like more dry cupboard foods being bought etc so Coming into 2021 and, and anniversarying all of these COVID trends, I would expect to see supermarkets doing a lot of crazy shit to try and compensate. Because they have to grow.
1: hmm hmm You can never rest.
0: Laura is really cupping her face in horror right now. <laughs>
1: because I believe in trade unions <laughs> I believe in workers rights and I'm just seeing all these people like staying up into the night being like how can we sell more bounty <laughs> I how know we possibly compare to last the, year the
0: pandemic has had a lot of awful consequences outside of what we what we
1: would instantly consider um <laughs> for the poor shelf stackers of the world Oh, I can't even start to think. I was just thinking HQ, the shelf suckers, and the right. people working at the shops. You've had a horrible year, anyway. Because Join a
0: union, people. Join
1: a fucking union. Um, I, I was hoping we'd smuggle that moral in somehow. So yeah. <laughs> that's that's fair. how unions get you. And that's that's how Laura gets you. <laughs> um, yeah. Um, say that's Laura. been great.
0: Yes, well,
1: I've had a swell time talking what, about supermarkets have- with you.
0: What have we learned?
1: Oh my God, so much.
0: (laughs) Um, (laughs) Laura's face, for anyone who can't see it, is just like eyes wide. Will you ever go in a supermarket again? Yeah, that
1: was the option. (laughs) Very true. I suppose I could go to loads of like little groceries and stuff. Mm -hmm. But what about my brands, Faye?
0: Exactly. What about your brands? What about my
1: brands? Uh, Well, we've we've learned a lot. We've learned about um, how layout can affect our shopping experience. Uh, intentionally putting products we need far away from each other, so we have to cover more ground. We've learned about display, the uh, changing display areas, uh, including the gondola ends, mysteriously (laughs) named, (laughs) front of store, the till, (laughs) your little uh, pop-up cardboard. We've learned about um, eye level and how your place on the sort of permanent shelves can really affect sales. God we've covered so much ground. We've
0: covered a lot of ground so Perfect. I might go and buy myself a delicious mocha cola from my local super value. super
1: value. I'm going to look into more patron saint days I can push um and you let me know how you get on and I'll let you know how I get on and uh yeah I think we can all agree join a union. Join the union. Who knew
0: that would be the moral of today's How They Get You? I Probably don't. Laura. <laughs>
1: <laughs> I hoped. I live in hope.
0: Very good. Well, enjoy your next shot, folks. That is How They Get You.
1: Or avoid it entirely and live off the fat of the land.
0: <laughs> yes.
1: Goodbye. Bye.